is something like in 2023, 90% of the organizations will say they are competing on data and analytics. If you believe that, then you have to take advantage of as much of this innovation as you can. Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Today, Cindy is joined by Sully McConnell, the Chief Data Officer of The Hartford. Since joining The Hartford in 2018, Sully's managed not just a digital transformation, but a cultural transformation as well. In this episode, Sully discusses the challenges he faces as a modern data chief trying to innovate the infrastructure of a 210-year-old insurance company that tends to err on the side of risk aversion. He shares what worked, what hasn't, and how he's helped shift the team's mindset so they can all make the changes to modernize the company. Sully and Cindy also discuss their takes on the question, is cloud really worth the cost? All of that and more on today's episode of The Data Chief. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data, lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and 7-Eleven use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. This week on The Data Chief, I am so happy to introduce everyone to one of my longest time customers, Sully McConnell, Chief Data Officer of the Hartford. Sully, welcome. Thank you, Cindy. It's great to be here. Good. Thanks so much for doing this. So the Hartford, well, I always say you are uh, one of the most inspirational risk-taking people that is a change agent. You've been at the Hartford almost two years Tell us how you landed at the Hartford. So one of the senior leaders at the Travelers, uh, I, I got to know pretty well while I was there. And uh, and he took a, a senior position over at the Hartford. And some several years later, 10, 10 plus years later, recruited me into the into the chief data officer role when when his CDO was ready to do something new. Yeah, Bill Bloom. Yeah, Bill Bloom. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. so Bill, Bill recruited me in and here I am. Okay, good. And this is where it it is funny. I think about when I first met you going back to the travelers probably 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Technology was so different then. And, and I often say that you have fostered other CDOs, people that have gone on to AIG, to Fannie Mae, to Comcast. You know a lot of people in the industry. So, sure. I think we all know a ton of people uh, across industry. It's easy to have that network uh, be used to your benefit when you need to find something or need to find someone. And it's a great small net community. Right. So how do you keep up with your network? How do you foster those connections when you're so busy? It's crazy times, of course, and we are very busy. Uh, There's probably several things that I do. I mean, there's maybe a half a dozen people in this space that I like and trust a lot. And so, you know, mostly email and and text just to keep up and see what's going on in the space. We do uh, at the Hartford, we, we do spend at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, we'll go out to Silicon Valley and visit some companies that we think are interesting. And we have a, a good 
uh, I'll say connection into the VC community there as well. So we'll spend some time with the VC community and get a sense on what they think is interesting in the data BI or analytics domain. And, and we'll do that at least once a year. And that's a way just to stay connected with the space as well. Right. And that's also how you find innovative products and companies. It is. It is. Yeah. And um, and certainly the, the pace of change in our field is crazy. It's uh, things are changing very, very rapidly, driven, of course, in large part by data volumes growing and the need for data freshness to grow and the need to embed analytics into business processes and uh, and, and the importance of cloud and all of that. So with so much change, you, you really have to uh, keep abreast of it and, and really understand what some of the most innovative companies are doing in the space. Right. And so when you and I first met, you told me a story. If I could take you back in time, it's sometimes oh, hard. I'm so, I'm so afraid right now. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not, <laughs> it's not personal. Or maybe it okay. is. No, it's not. No, no, no. No, but I mean, investing in new it is sometimes difficult to make a case for a, a business. You had all this free software from a large mega vendor. And yet you went out and bought a specialty ETL tool. I won't name the company because I'll decide if you want to do that. I remember, I remember, yeah. But you made the case. How do you make the case for innovation when the, the clear value is not always known or when you get free software from other large companies? It's interesting because there's certainly even more more incidences like these in today's world where you have the very large mega vendors who are obviously trying to solve uh, problems across the broad range of data management problems and data governance problems and BI and, uh, and advanced analytics problems. The, the suite vendors are really trying to bundle as much as they can because that's their opportunity to grow. In my personal opinion is... The big innovation is with the with the smaller companies that are thinking about sort of things, you know, cloud native, and that's where the innovation will will happen because of the large volumes of data that IoT devices are driving into the cloud. So uh, it, that's completely impractical to bring on prem, of course, and so all of the services are gravitating. Right, data has gravity. All of these very interesting services are gravitating towards this very large large uh, volumes of data in the cloud. So all of that innovation is happening in the cloud. The mega vendors really are taking mega vendors, for example, would be vendors like SAP and Oracle, right? They're taking this excellent technology, but but technology that really was built for these on-premise environments that all have constraints that don't exist in the cloud. So we think a lot of the innovation is, is being driven by these smaller vendors that are cloud native and give you very, very interesting characteristics uh, for the um, for the application space that they're in. So the question is, how do you make the case? In my head, and I forget, there's probably a very good Gartner statistic. I think I think it is something like uh, in 2023, uh, 90% of the organizations will say they are competing on data and analytics. It's something like that. And I think if you think about the opportunity that data and data science and AI has to make an impact on an organization's bottom line, you have to believe that. So if you believe that, then you have to take advantage of as much of this innovation as you can, I believe. Yeah, for sure. Well, clearly, I believe it. <laughs> I've been believing it for 25 years. Um, we see who 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 survives or who dies on on data, and I think that's only increased in a cloud world, in a machine learning world, and also in a business world facing a lot of um, global pressure. So you you mentioned cloud a lot. Now I did, yes. The Hartford is over 200 years old. <laughs> you have a lot of on-premises infrastructure 
and data. How yep. are you navigating moving that or or doing hybrid or multi-cloud? Yeah, so you listed the bad news, right? The bad news is we are a 200-year-old company, but of course the good news is that our systems are only 100 years old, Cindy. So <laughs> so we have this huge huge advantage in that respect. You know, actually probably the biggest challenge uh, I, I would say I've had in thinking about a vision and sharing a vision and, and helping uh, create this shared vision in the enterprise, which is a very cloud-centric one, is I'll say that the age and culture of the company. Um, it is a company that really understands risk very, very well um, as, an, as an insurer. And I think perhaps is risk averse to the point that you know we're we're probably later to cloud than uh, in retrospect we would like and and perhaps later to cloud than some of our competitors not really i can tell you insur- well some but insurers as an yeah, industry yeah. slower to cloud certain sectors faster not to make you feel too much better but okay well <laughs> we'll we'll take all we can get thank you um but but that's been the big thing is is just um uh, the the need to try to drive culture change and the way to think about this differently. Um, and of course, every once in a while, there is there's some public issue like uh, like with Capital One, I think recently that had a breach, and then you know that causes everyone to uh, to you know retreat to their default position of we go we can't do this, it's hard. But we're pushing hard, and we're going to stay the course, and and uh, we're going to have our entire data ecosystem be in the cloud at some point, and uh, and making progress in, in the past year um, at at a decent pace, not as fast as I think I would like or the or the senior leadership team would like, but but we're changing the culture, and we're committed to it. Yeah, and and to be fair, the Capital One breach really comes back to an Amazon contractor. Understood. Understood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but still, but still impacted by it. Definitely, I would have held them up as an example of innovating and. Pushing. I know. I know. Yeah. They're the they're the bellwether for a while for for people in the data space. Uh, yeah. yeah. Agreed. So now, another thing that you said is that in coming in to the Hartford, that maybe if you had joined previously or too soon you would not have been able to push forward with some of your ideas and your vision. Why is that? If you think about the role of the CDO, many say it's an uphill battle. So what's happened at the Hartford that they're now ready for you? There's probably a lot we can point to. I think uh, at a very senior leadership team level, there's consensus. It, we are going to compete uh, on data and analytics. I'm going to guess prior to my arrival, that j- there just wasn't consensus around that. It is it is now one of the four pillars around which we'll compete. Our CEO uh, has has made that one of our one of our critical pillars moving forward. So there's consensus at a leadership level, and, and that's made it easier. It hasn't made it easy, but it's certainly made it easier. Uh, and that's probably the biggest difference from that's great. You know, yeah, yeah. So the so the leadership is ready. You have the consensus. You talked about culture and. In the last year, I've done events with executives like yourself and business people, and 61% have said that culture is the main reason they can't execute on their vision. So what is it about the culture? Is it valuing experience and gut over facts, or is it the risk-averse? You know, my personal opinion is the risk-averse nature of the of the place, uh, but it's something we're actively changing. And and at a, again, the commitment from the senior leadership team uh, is there, so we can all coach. But 
um, but it's a big organization and and uh, in big organizations it takes a lot of people to change behavior to have the culture of the place change it does so is are there any specific things you've done like is it incentives um, changing the people changing the way you organize the people um, there's a you know a little bit of all of that so again I, I don't want to pick on cloud because there's because there's many aspects of this but just with respect to cloud cloud is is the the need to progress against let's say, I'm just say cloud is a now of over the, the need to progress against clouding um, <laughs> is now woven into the incentives of the place so there's certainly some of that bringing in uh, where's buying skills in in some cases from um, uh, from the marketplace we're borrowing uh, skills from our vendor partners that have good uh, cloud and, and cloud data management skills and we're going through in large part putting together a, a great educational plan to upskill uh, our existing workers it's going to take all of that oh good so tell me about the educational plan is this on data is it on technology is it on the domain questions that are new opportunities um boy uh, domain's a good one because i um because that's one that uh, we don't have anything explicit in place around, but but I would say on the uh, some combination of cloud. I'd mentioned cloud native earlier, and and so we think cloud native is important, and so we like vendors that like Snowflake is a vendor that we're very enamored with uh, in terms of uh, analytical database technology. So that's an example of a vendor, and when we think about all of the workloads that we will be bringing to the cloud as part of the data ecosystem, it's analytical database workloads, the integration workloads, advanced analytic workloads, data science, the BI workloads, et cetera. And so we're putting together plans in place to upskill workers across all of the technologies that we like in each of those categories. And it will take time. And, uh, and you know, certainly for our greenfield projects, those are easier to think about. So we can skill a set of, uh, of employees with a handful of, of these uh, uh, technologies and, and cloud, uh, AW, loosely AWS, we, we're, we're um, we're we're having our uh, data ecosystem be primarily in AWS. Uh, although I expect us to be, you had asked earlier, I expect us to be a hybrid cloud, multi-cloud data ecosystem for some period of time. But but initially, we're moving we're moving in the AWS direction there. So we're skilling our teams on on all of those technologies and AWS skills in general. Right. So upskilling in the technologies is data fluency or data literacy part of your plan? I would say there is not an explicit data literacy plan, but we've been talking about it and we'll probably have to put something to uh, in place to be successful. So more to come. Yeah. Or is it also, do you think that when you think about data literacy, you have a lot of actuaries, are people fairly more data literate than other sectors that you've come from? You've come from also ent the entertainment or, or cable world as well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's a good point. Actually, it is an organization built on, in many ways, uh, right, applying like advanced math against the large volumes of data. So, so that that's actually an excellent point. We have a large actuarial community. We have a, a large data science community. And we think about advanced analytics as it's applied to every business problem. So we're thinking about it the right way, in, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, it is, a, it is a relatively sophisticated user community. Good, good. So when you first came into the Hartford, you said to me, oh, I had to make some organizational changes. Yeah. Um, when you think about that, can you, <laughs> without naming names, can you tell us wh why did you feel like that was the first thing you needed to do? 
And if you were coaching a new CDO going into a new company, what is most often the first task at hand? There's a gentleman who writes for Harvard Business Review who who writes a lot on on change management and the the reasons that change either succeeds or fails is a guy by the name of John Cotter and and I'm I'm not a big management you know management uh, author person uh, but I do like Cotter's work a lot and he ha- and there's seven reasons that he would argue that change uh, transformational change either succeeds or fails and and I'm gonna I'm gonna I should know this off the top of my head but I'm gonna guess reason number three is lack of a shared vision. And uh, so, you know, my leadership team did not have a shared vision, and I'm not sure that they were going to inherit mine. So, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't drinking the Kool Aid. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's, that's, there's an element of fairness to that. But, but I think it was, again, right? So, knowing there's this big transformational change in many dimensions, I wanted to get people who are committed to that in all of the dimensions. Um, plus, there, you know, and this is just my situation, I would say that some of the structure of the organization didn't make sense, um, okay. right? And so you say, okay, well, if you're starting from scratch and you're going to build an organization that makes sense in the context of the role that you have, you do that first and you don't think about the people. And so we did that first and didn't think about the people. And then you say, okay, well, let's lay a leadership team on top of that and found that uh, we needed to make some change. So so that structure, that structure first, we talk about um, where should the CDO report Mm-hmm. Who do you report into or which function? Is it tech or operations? It's yeah. a tricky function. It's yeah. uh, I report into a gentleman who has who leads the organization called OTDNA, uh, Operations Technology uh, Data and Analytics. So it's mm-hmm. a big, broad, encompassing role. Yeah. And uh, so I, my peer group is the CIO of the organization. I'll say uh, loosely, if not by title, the, the chief analytics officer for the place. Right. Makes sense. And then do you have a hybrid model where you have analytics, data and analytics talent reporting directly to you, but then also reporting to claims, to auto, to commercial? How do you organize that side of the talent? So on the, on the, let's, let's take these in pieces. On the data side of this, the CDO here at the Hartford, our responsibility is to build I'll say enterprise with a lowercase e because, but we do build things for lines of businesses. So we don't have a quote unquote enterprise data warehouse. We have several of them then, and they're built for a specific line of business. So we, so we build these enterprise with lowercase e assets for the lines of businesses. We have that responsibility. Although the the building of data marts from those enterprise assets is decentralized uh, into the business units, along with the, the BI dashboard scorecard authoring people that uh, that build the dashboards and scorecards for those for those lines of businesses, the advanced uh, like the data science function, advanced analytics, that is just interesting. Um, we have uh, two large groups here. One in our uh, personal lines organization, and then one that again reports to the same leader that I report into, the head of OTDNA, and that gentleman supports most um, of the other functions outside of personal lines. And it's just in this state where we haven't quite centralized, and we may not ever quite centralize, but we've got two big groups that do data science. Yeah, great, thank you. And we talked about the pace of change, how it's getting even faster. It's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> I, I know. I used to think, wow, when when vendors or tech companies had an annual software release and uh, 
was evaluating these products. I couldn't keep up. Now it's like continuous um, every week, yeah, every yeah. month. How, how do you keep up or how long a time horizon do you like to agree an investment path? So that's, I think that's two questions. The, the how do I keep up? We talked a little bit about going to Silicon Valley and just yeah. staying staying connected to the VC community because that's that's where you can see where the big investments are being made. You should be paying attention to to those areas. So that's one. Although I you know I do read a lot and I do um, I do a lot of Google searches. Uh, I think that Google thing is going to be big someday. Um, <laughs> what what do you read? What do you read to keep on top of this? Um, what do I mean by by what do you uh, read? What, oh, what do I read? Yeah. Oh, I read a lot of. Uh, honestly, vendor-centric things. You mean my blogs? You... <laughs> uh, sure, sure. I, like I, st- I, I try to stay, uh, I try to stay up on what's uh, like in the news with with I think these small vendors that are that are doing some yeah. pretty innovative things. And so, you know, every couple of weeks, I'll do a search. I'll, I mean, I'll pick a couple. Thoughts about would be one. Dremio would be another. That's I think an interesting company. There's so small smaller vendors that have some really interesting traction in the space, and I'll just try to see what's in the news with respect to some of these innovative vendors because I think you can learn about how the vendors perceive the evolution of the space, which I think is interesting sometimes. Yeah. So that's one. Yeah. Um, That's one. I do have to tell you though. Well, one we share investors, um, Lightspeed. So blessed to have them as a backer, but also our. Uh, co-founder, chairman of the board, Ajit Singh, has had me banish the word vendor. And you're saying this oh, is that right? sentence. Yes, because... He's partner, like, partner, partner. You. Yes, partner or cool tech company. But I think he pictures an Apple cart uh, street person <laughs> oh, <laughs> when you say vendor. It's a good point. Um, <laughs> it's a good point. You know, and I've I've conditioned myself to do this pretty well. Um, you know, as, as, a, as a data organization, we have lots of uh, internal partners, and I've conditioned myself pretty well to not use customer, uh, internal customer, and use partner instead. And I'll have to, I'll have to get better at the vendor. Oh, that's okay. Part of this. I th- listen, some companies are vendors, uh, but <laughs> I hope that uh, some of the ones you've mentioned, I would say, are more partners or cool tech companies. But yeah. So, what about your your time horizon? How do you set a portfolio of technology to invest in without yep. ripping it out, swapping it out? Gosh, you could do it every month if you wanted to. You could. And this is, uh, in some ways, the argument against the mega vendors, I think, because how do I want to say this? We have a a vendor, uh, one of the quote unquote, the monolithic vendors. We have a very large vendor that we have authored a large amount of integration logic in this vendor's technology to the point that it's impractical to think about ever moving it. Um, the cost is is large to the point that it will be challenging for us to do that, and it's uh you know it's I don't know it's tightly coupled to the to the technology around it, and so as we think about an environment moving forward, we're thinking about you know smaller sets of services from smaller sets of vendors that connect well together, so that you have this ability to as the space changes and evolves, you can move pieces of the technology stack out without being tightly coupled to the things around it. And so that's going to help. And then, you know, how, how will I think about 
the time horizons around investment in some of these technologies in that context, I guess it would be over the, the reasonable you know lifespan of the platform, which I'd measure in a couple of years. So two to three yeah. years, yeah. A couple, I, I would agree. I mean, I think some CDOs, CIOs even say to me, you know, we used to have a safe time horizon of five to 10 years and now it's like two to three. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's that's good. So what do you think is the biggest thing if you look back just on the last five years what's the thing that you've been like wow that's been a breakthrough well in the in the data space uh, probably the biggest change is just the impact that open source has had given these very large volumes of data and and iot streaming um, applications uh, the open source community has had to um, implement things to keep up with those demands i think that's probably one of the biggest changes and maybe second of course the ability to stand up these data-related services in the cloud very, very quickly and take advantage of all of the cloud infrastructure, dynamic scaling, the ability to separate uh, compute and storage, all of these very interesting things in the cloud that uh, allow us to build data ecosystems, which are much more interesting than they used to be even a couple of years ago. For sure. So the agility that cloud brings, I think, is huge, but there's a debate that cloud is more expensive. Do you agree or too soon to say? So this is, uh, I think this plays out over time. And I think I have a perspective on it. I, I don't know that I have the data to support it, but it's it's my belief is that it would be hard to argue that on a unit cost basis, you could, you could have something on premise that would be less expensive. I, it's hard for me to imagine that on a unit cost basis. So I appreciate that there's, you know, nu- numerous people who have moved these big applications and ecosystems to the cloud that claim that their costs go up, it has to be because it's driving an increase in demand. At least in my head, that's how it plays out, right? So you move something to the cloud, it's better, it's easier to access, it drives more value and you have more demand for it. So your costs go up. Um, it has to be that. And I, I'd be hard pressed to say it's a, it's a unit cost thing where the cloud is more expensive. Yeah, I think it, this is where we it does force the issue of efficiency of design going for the lowest storage cost, uh, offloading mm-hmm, compute mm-hmm. to off hours. One of your former colleagues who's still in financial services said to me, Cindy, we could not have even done this type of analysis before in an on-premises world. Yeah, sure. So, um, sure, sure. I think that's interesting. What about one of the risks with cloud and even some of the AI that we bring into data and analytics? What are your thoughts on ethics and privacy as we move forward with these analyses? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, and and you've probably heard, uh, so this is an anecdote that I've heard, and I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of truth behind here, but my, my understanding is, uh, this is just an example, right? It, is that, um, you know, Amazon, which is a, uh, a tremendous consumer of AI, consumer of AI, so they apply it in uh, tons of business processes, of course, and so they were using it for hiring and uh, the anecdote is they had to stop that because their AI models were preferring men significantly over women. And you sort of understand the the reason for that, right, is because they have 10 years of history of data hiring that go into the model. And and you look at the history of the past 10 years, and that's that's the whatever, that's the cause of the driver. So, so I think the ethics behind AI, uh, it's interesting, right? You have to, we, we, we are in an industry where, 
outsiders really want to understand why we do some things like pricing, right? And so to the extent you you start to apply some of these newer techniques, which are more black box techniques to um, to make recommendations, it's it's uh, it's challenging. But I think that there's some really interesting work being done to try to take some of these black boxes and make them um, a little more translucent. And so I think that's where that's where it starts to become really interesting because I, I do think there's a real thing where uh, where you, where you have to be cognizant that uh, AI uh, can be applied in a way uh, that uh, it can make some recommendations, which um, much like the Amazon situation, uh, have a bias. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where explainable AI, but the yep. diversity yep. of the teams building them is important, as well as the data that goes yeah, in, absolutely. into the model. Absolutely. So if you if you look back on your career in uh, data and analytics, was there ever a company or a point in time where you thought this isn't going to work? And how did you navigate out of that or through that? There was one time where I was pretty sure it wasn't going to work. And um, we knew each other. I think we knew each other at this point in time. I had left uh, Aetna US Healthcare. Maybe we didn't know each other. No, I guess it was just before I knew. I'd left Aetna US Healthcare to join a, a relatively small startup of, I don't know, about six people. That's very small. Aetna to six people? Oh, it was That's... crazy. Uh, it was... Um, Why did yeah. you do that? Oh, I thought it would be fun. Very interesting people with an interesting idea. And it was, you know, this was 90, I don't know, 98 or something, long time ago. And the idea loosely was, you, and it was way ahead of its time, was that uh, you could apply these algorithms that would learn and and they would make recommendations. And the, the, I don't know, the, I'm not, I wasn't the, the data science guy, but we were using boosted naive Bayesian networks to, I don't know, learn, learn through experiences. So the model wouldn't get stale, it would get better. And, and, uh, and we thought that was a really interesting idea. And we grew to about 20 people and we sold ourselves for... And I think it was $52 million without any venture capital to a company that uh, went went uh, chapter seven within <laughs> within a year. So none of our stock vested and it was, it was a train oh, wreck. Gosh. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. So it was right at the end of that that I said, this is not going to work. And I was right, Cindy. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but you learned a lot. It was a great opportunity. <laughs> it was that. But, um, you know... That was a great learning moment, and um, and maybe the thing that I learned is it doesn't matter. Like, and maybe that's why I have some element of, as you pointed out earlier, you view me as a risk taker. And I think um, what I learned is you you know you pick yourself up and you move on, and something and great things can still happen. And so yeah, that was uh, that was probably the one time though that I I could point to. Yeah, well, so fortunately you took care of that risk, big risk, that big failure. Earlier early, in your life. Early, so that's as right. I said to you, I'm like, this is crazy. After 25 years, I'm going to a startup. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> but we're well-funded. so <laughs> <laughs> That is important. <laughs> that helps. I know you're a big sports fan. Hockey. I am. Do you, uh, do you use any of this in coaching your people or in how you approach problems? I am a hockey fan. I have to admit, I'm a hockey fan, but I'm I'm a fan of of uh, of many teams um, in many sports. I, I follow all the major sports. I love coaches more than anything. I'm going to name some of my favorite coaches in history. I love Pat Riley, who coached the Knicks for a while and then the Miami Heat for a while, and he's written a number of books on winning. And uh, and I love Don Shula, who is the greatest uh, coach in football history for the Miami Dolphins. And I love Joel Quenville for the Chicago Blackhawks when they he coached them to three Stanley Cup 
championships and those are my favorite teams and my favorite coaches and you know the thing that i think is consistent about all of them which if i apply anything it is this idea that you have a team orientation that no person is bigger than the team and everyone is in it for the team and i think they do a great job of of instilling that into their championship winning teams and um you know my hockey i can only talk to you about the flyers in the 70s (laughs) (laughs) bobby clark i know you're also a bruins yeah but you didn't name vince lombardi uh we are packers fans do do you not like him or oh um, i think i think he's arguably the second greatest coach in history actually now that uh, paul brown fans would take offense to that no i I love (laughs) i love don shula he's my guy okay I only know his steakhouse. I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> which, which is great. There's a good one in Miami, by the way. There is. There is. <laughs> so, um, Sully, I like to always end with a, a question. You know, our, our world is dealing in chaotic times right now. I think this 2020 will, will go down as one of the roughest years in 100, probably. Or maybe we'll get through these bumps more quickly. But when you think about what you're grateful for, and how you stay positive. You know, there's faith, family, friends, but outside the predictable, what are you grateful for and how do you stay so positive? The thing I'm most grateful for, I have um, I have an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, 18-year-old daughter who has known for, I don't know, six years, I don't know how you know this at 12, that she wanted to be an astrophysicist um, and she's completely committed to it and she's a super genius and um, I'm, I'm grateful that she knows what she wants to do and she's all in and uh, and she's just a great, great kid and that's probably the big thing. Um, I'm also grateful that uh, that of all my sports teams, very I don't know if, if everyone can say that they... They got a chance to see their team win a championship, and I did in every one of my sports. I'm grateful for that. And uh, oh, that's uh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and how do I stay positive? Uh, the alternative is no good, right? No, like, it's I a know. choice. Yes, it's a choice. It is a choice. I think it's a choice. Um, yeah, you can you be to positive or it. not. And if if not, like that doesn't sound like any fun. So <laughs> why not be positive? Sally McConnell, it's so great to work with you. Thanks for being on the Data Chief. Yeah, thank you, Cindy. This was fun. We should uh, we should do this every week. We should <laughs> <laughs> over a beer or a glass of wine. We'll have there some gardener choose choose the French wine next time. There you go. All right. Thank you, Sally. You bet. You bet. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or listen to more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout on Twitter at BISCORECARD. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.